0: I'm Angela. I'm Naomi.
1: And welcome to Queerly Yours.
0: We are two queer polyamorous folk who's often been asked for relationship advice by friends. So we decided to put our insights on the internet.
1: This is a podcast about how we have built our relationship over time and how you can build yours too. And today uh, we are actually responding to an audience question theme, sort of, yay, because we have very helpful friends who sent us topic suggestions when we ask
0: and when we run out of ideas for ourselves
1: i'm sure i'm sure we would have come up with something but i i think it's a lot more fun to feel like we're responding to curiosities from audience members of course currently our audience are people who have not listened to the show yet because this is probably the last episode that we'll record before our first episode goes live <laughs> I, so i guess so i guess actually they do kind of count as audience because most of the key folks who are interested in our show are
0: people who already know us and have heard us talk about our relationships. <laughs> we're starting this off on a very meta note. I'm going to say that for the record. A
1: little bit. Yeah, no, honestly, actually, yeah. This is a question from one of the people who has been the longest audience to our relationship because we were at the same college. Um, oh, yeah. And I met them I met them shortly before we got together.
0: So, yeah. So, on that note, the actual uh, audience question topic is hun-
1: The topic that we've been asked to talk about today is about the dynamics of being in relationships with trans people. We're going to focus especially on being in relationships where you're a trans person with another trans person, because that's true both for our question asker and for our relationship. But a lot of it will apply even if you are cis and in a relationship with a trans person, because a lot of it comes down to relatively basic dynamics of Supporting your partner and figuring out what that looks like and feels like. One of the big things we wanted to dig into is, you know, we're pretty hyped to be two trans folks in a relationship. We like that. It is a cool thing. That is true for a lot of people. But even when you're on really good grounds with your relationship, it doesn't make you stop existing in the world. And the world has a lot of other factors. So the key thing that we are looking to address today is to how to talk about trans stuff and how it relates to you, your partner, your relationship with people who have varying degrees of information and respect and context for uh, that relationship and for the nature of being trans. So we're going to talk about things like how to talk to parents, how to talk to other people in your close social circles, or your social circles that you want to keep at a gentle distance, to some degree and also especially what do you do when you're in a relationship where you have different degrees of ability to be obvious or non-obvious about your gender and sexuality when those conversations come up or don't come up in different ways uh, because at least for me i try to be very open about being trans but people don't automatically Always read that onto me. There are times where people just assume that I'm kind of gender non-conforming, but still think of me as a cis person. And there have been occasionally moments where people have even asked me about Angela, or if it's difficult or complicated to be in a relationship with a trans person, and then the gears have to turn in my head for a moment as I remember, oh yeah, fuck, not everyone knows I'm trans. <laughs> and so they think that this is some kind of foreign experience for me when it happens to my partner. And that can be something that can be really weird to navigate sometimes. What do you do when people make assumptions about your relationship that aren't true or when the degrees of outness or visibility between folks in a partnership are different? How do you support each other? How do you keep from outing people? um, Or how do you keep from feeling like maybe you have to out yourself in order to have conversations about transness and gender? So yeah, we didn't get a really singular sentence question. This is more the result of a long conversation that I had while hanging out with friends. But we tried to put it into some bullet-pointed notes, and we're going to look at it from, from some different perspectives today. We're going to look at, essentially, what are the different dimensions of being in a relationship as a trans person with another trans person, or just being in a relationship with a trans person in general? How do you talk about that in a way that's kind, in a way that's appropriate, in a way that doesn't reveal more about folks than they want to share about themselves? In a way that shows you're standing up for and supporting your partner, regardless of your own context or how
0: comfortable you are, how capable you are of being out about things about
1: yourself. So yeah, that was longer than
0: I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I was going to say like there's so much in that that we could be that we could cover, and it really depends where you'd want to start.
1: So yeah, there are a lot of different different spots that we can start. I think family is kind of one of the one of the key
0: themes. We could go into that one first. A lot of the more murky terrain or the more unpleasant terrain probably first and, and that's not to say that like at least in our context it either of our families has been particularly bad around this well to a degree uh, <laughs> I, i'd say from my end like my mother's side of the family for it, it at least concerns my mom and my uncle have been pretty good around it like my uncle still uses my dead name And still Mm -hmm. kind of genders me as male. But like I just started to treat that as he just does not. He really doesn't like pay attention enough. Or he's pretty absent-minded when it comes to other people it seems like. But he still like cares. And he wants to be there for me and such. So I treat it as he doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to care about certain things that matter to me. But it doesn't mean he's necessarily a horrible person. And my mom is someone who it pretty much sort of took on gradually over time. As an element of how she treated me. I think for her, she had a lot of reactions that are pretty common for a lot of parents to have, which is that are supportive. I'll I'll Mm -hmm. qualify that by saying they're supportive, which is namely, I remember her distinctly telling me at one point, it's like, well, I was used to you being one way for the longest time. And, you know, as a parent, I feel like in some ways it feels like losing that part of you with having to have someone new. But I think over time she's warmed up to the idea of, like, not treating that as an excuse to therefore invalidate who I am now and forward. That It hasn't felt like losing a kid. It's just felt like a very different way of, I guess, thinking about me. And I mm-hmm. think as a result, it's felt the most supportive. She's felt like the most supportive person to have in my life around that. At least as it comes to family and my mom's side. Some of my siblings haven't been the best about it. Mm-hmm. It's been regrettable, but at least as it comes to family on my end, for the people who matter to me and I interact with the most in my life, there has been a lot of elements where it's been difficult to try and like be direct around some elements and other times just like you have to engage with family and it's not great, it's not fun, it's not simple, but I think it's proven positive. And when it comes to Naomi being involved in my life, Naomi has also become one of those people who, if no one in the family necessarily thinks Naomi is trans, (laughs) I don't feel like Naomi has had to necessarily hide it as a result.
1: Yeah, I feel like, yeah, to sort of build on that and to speak to both your family and my family and how we interact with them, I feel like people can have a lot of different kinds of relationships to family. And there are times where you have family where... There, it's really not okay for them to be in your life and you have to set strong boundaries for trans reasons or for other reasons. I'm grateful that neither of us have been put in a position where it's like, okay, that whole family of origin is just a nope. We both have some strong and supportive bases, but I feel like another dimension of family often ends up being because they are people that you sort of arrive in the world and they're already connected to you. You can be really enmeshed and there can be times where Maybe you put up with things from them that you wouldn't put up with from folks that you have more casual connections with, because there's the sense of, these are people that I'm kind of enmeshed with, and if I want to not be in relationship to them, that's a big deal. That affects a lot of things, and that involves losing some things. And that can be tough, but in some ways, there's also a really rich positive to it, because it means on a certain front that you have time. That these are people that, um, unless you make an active break from it, In a lot of cases, you're going to be connected with them to life. And so I feel like, especially with my family, the biggest way that I have thought about things is, at their core, do I feel like they are doing their best to be respectful and loving people based on their knowledge and their skills and their approaches? It has taken a lot of my family a long time to figure out pronouns. Some of them still stumble to varying degrees. I used to not even bring it up in a lot of cases. I've started bringing it up more now, both for my own sense of security and because I'm not the only out non-binary person in my family now. And so now it's also not just about me. I also want to be there to boost and support my cousin and to keep the whole family in practice with that, because even if I wasn't out, it would still be a skill that they would actively need to learn to support our family. And I think that ties into another element, which is often it's easier to stand up for another person than to stand up for yourself. There's sort of a, a, a boost to that. Um, where I'm much, I'm much comfier advocating for other people's pronouns than I am advocating for my own. But the biggest thing with my family is that my whole family, like my parents and my extended family, raised me with very few gender expectations or structures. I wore what I wanted, I dressed how I wanted, I did the activities I wanted to, I was supported and nurtured in that. They gave me a lot of the emotional tools that I think have made figuring out that I am genderqueer a much comfier and less scary process than it could have been. And so for me, I've decided that if it takes them a bit of time to figure out my pronouns or those little little structural details, as long as I feel like they're trying and they're not actively trying to be nasty about it, they have established a foundation of whether or not they understood the language or specifically what it meant for me to be non-binary they were already treating me with a kindness and respect that made that an easy and comfy thing to express. And I decided that for me, that holds more weight than whether or not they were really sharp on my pronouns immediately. Because I've known people closer in age to me and to Angela who are great with my pronouns, but could still be really awful to me in other ways. Like being good at certain terms and language is not equivalent to being a kind and thoughtful person on the whole. You can know etiquette, but still be really nasty. And you can be
0: unclear or clunky on etiquette, but be doing your best to be kind. Yeah, and I can add to that and saying, and sort of doubling up on the whole, like, my mom still messes up my pronouns every now and then. And it means the world to me when she is good on it, but for the most part there are different ways where I can tell she thinks the way that she thinks of me is much more positive and much more gender-affirming that I'm willing to be patient with those elements. And to be clear, this is coming from two of us who have a relatively high level of patience for any of these smaller slights. Did that, that I say smaller in terms of they're not actively like removing us from housing or not actively in control of our finances or anything like that? That's not to say they're any less significant in terms of the amount of harm they can have and that this is our ability to just be patient with those uh, aspects of our loved ones and the relationships we have with them. And that's not necessarily going to be every trans person And that's not going to be for anyone who's listening to this and is in the midst of developing a relationship with a trans person. That's not going to be every trans person. Some folks are going to be much angrier than we are. Some folks are going to be much sadder about their state of relationships with their family. Some people are going
1: to be more resigned and assume that they just kind of have to roll with whatever their family is doing. So I I feel like if there's anything that we want to communicate on this, it's that you are allowed to have boundaries and you are allowed to decide what those boundaries and thresholds are. There's no singular formula where this is the way you relate to family or this is the way you get your family to be good about your gender stuff. You have to think about what are my emotional thresholds? What are the things that matter to me about family? What are the things that matter less? What are the things that are really important and grounding that I need right now? What are things that I'm willing to wait on or that it's okay if they take time? And calibrate yourself for that because... You are not required to be any specific way with your family. You're also not required to let them know that you're trans. They do not have to know that. That is your call too. Or you can do like what I do and hang out in a flannel shirt of plausible deniability and not always tell people your pronouns, but also be pretty wildly obviously gender non-conforming
0: pretty much all the time. Yeah, and again, this is... I won't necessarily call it a luxury, but it, it is something that Naomi, to a certain extent, is able to do more than I am, given their living situation and their particular distance from family. Because we don't, we both don't live with our families, but you, for people who are listening and you might have a trans partner with their families, that might require being a little bit more coded about how you refer to each other and such. That might involve its own set of tension, whether or not it's interacting with family members that they live with that are not so pleasant around that person's trans identity. But it also might involve just within your own relationship, like needing to devote some time to affirming that like if you have to use a certain name or certain designations in certain contexts, that doesn't that's not how you actually feel. It doesn't fundamentally undermine the respect that you have for that person's identity. Because even if you have to be practical in certain contexts, and even if that's something that both people in the relationship or the all the people in the relationship involved sort of know that going in it can still wear down wear you down quite a lot and that's something where like taking the time to affirm that it's like yeah i'm sorry i had to call you that or like being clear even if the person doesn't need it necessarily a lot of what it comes down to is just checking in with said person Mm -hmm. being clear that the situation doesn't allow for the full expression and affirmation of that person's identity but that doesn't mean that you individual will not take the time to consistently affirm that person's identity and its fullness and its richness
1: yeah it means that you're doing a different kind of work out of love the work of making sure that you get to survive and be safe together which sometimes means yeah saying stuff that's uncomfortable or having to talk in different situations like say if you're interacting with authority figures or medical professionals who only have legal name records and (laughs) that stuff sucks sometimes but sometimes it does happen. I feel like one of the times I've seen it come up in people's broader social circles, too, is with things like crowdfunding campaigns where you're trying to source money through, you know, a personal account or a PayPal that still has someone's dead name on it. I don't think I can count the number of donation posts I've seen that say at the bottom, like, ignore the name on the PayPal, like, please, I need money to survive right now. And also ignore the name on the PayPal, never use that for me, because there are places where that stuff is hard to change. And so you're stuck with these weird little echoes and one of the things that you need to do out of love and respect for other people is to listen to and affirm those statements you know go to the donation link and click it and ignore the name and let it wash out of your head as best
0: you can or even in places where like that legal documentation might be easier to figure out like where i'm from it would probably be a little bit easier comparatively to other like states it's it's one of those things where it requires its own time and process. It requires changing things like bank accounts or like the history of work that you have associated with a certain name or even just for the fellowship that I'm involved with right now, the person who fit, like signs off on my checks and such or who helps coordinate getting that money to me. She's perfectly fine with like never using my dead name but knowing that like it's something that she has to do for legal purposes in order to get the money out. And those are elements of doing work, of being covert, in the workplace elements or the finance-related elements of having a trans partner that also kind of play a factor into all this, because I'm not particularly out even in the household that I'm living in. I thought I kind of was, and then I've gotten the impression that that my renters have made certain assumptions about my gender identity, and for certain trans folk, that is just something they have to do to have a place to live. And that's another element of like having to, I guess, be covert around some things that is a stressor that if you're interested in taking on taking on and having a trans partner, that could be an element of it where the person is like fully out in some circles or with some groups of friends and in other areas is entirely silent for reasons of safety and wanting to maintain, maintain things like housing and stability. And it's not fun really sucks in a lot of ways but it's also like if the options are being affirmed and open about identity versus not being so but having housing from years of having unstable housing I can say having housing generally beats out not having housing and it's one of those things where yeah folks may have different dimensions of experience in different
1: contexts and I think that's important to to not assume that because someone is really out in one circumstance, that that means that they're comfy being out in all circumstances. You know, you can be someone who blogs about, who talks about, who is really open about a lot of things about your gender and sexuality in a lot of social spaces that matter to you. And then you can go home and feel like you're pretending to be a very different person. That's a reality for a lot of people. And that's, that's big. There's a lot of things about this. There's a lot of elements that come up.
0: I can think of one in particular. Yeah, go for it. I guess less, less something that we'd have to devote a lot of time to, but more a thing to address that comes to mind for, I guess, things to avoid with a trans partner, mm-hmm. unless it really is actually relevant to the conversation, is if people, if a trans person is doing that, uh, being covert about their identity in different contexts, despite being out and proud in other ones, especially if, let's say, you're someone who's queer but is cis, and you are both used to generally being out in a lot of different contexts, and then you have to be kind of covert in some. I would say it definitely depends per the trans person, but I don't think you should really take it as a general rule that that person is ashamed of their transness. Or ashamed of you, or the relationship. Exactly, or or it's ashamed of you, because sometimes the logistics of everyday life do not allow you to get to be as open and free as you would like to be and this is the context for a lot of different people they hold their tongue about some issues they're quiet around some things or they can't be as out and i don't think for my personal opinion but i don't think it would be the case i don't think it could be stated for a general for general purposes but i would say for at least my opinion i don't think i've ever met a single trans person who. Really, if they're having to be covert about stuff, means that they're ashamed of anyone that they're in relationship with. Or that they don't want to be that person. They don't want to be fully validated in that way. It doesn't suddenly invalidate their transness and the queerness attached to that as well. If they're just having to be kind of quiet around some issues. If it helps,
1: imagine you're dating a secret agent. Yeah, that's probably
0: a good way of putting it.
1: But they have an important mission, and it's very cool. And very complicated and it doesn't mean that they're not the same badass secret agent that they always are it just means that sometimes you're on a mission and that mission requires you to wear a different kind of suit than usual
0: i can't tell whether I'm thrilled by the implication that all trans people are secret agents or that that implies a certain level of baseline lying to all trans people which could go in a horrible direction
1: fair point fair point i i'm, main, I'm mainly enjoying imagining, imagining People in, like, and I'm, I'm mainly enjoying imagining myself in,
0: like, a really cool James Bondy kind of suit. <laughs> but, but you like women. James Bond doesn't actually like women. He just uses women.
1: That's true. I've never heard anyone say that precise phrase about James Bond, but structural evidence definitely suggests exactly
0: that. Back to the topic on hand. <laughs> Back to the topic at hand.
1: We've covered a lot of the things about family interactions that I think are important to think about and to consider. I feel like I'm thinking of other dimensions that have come up in our in our lives or that we can speak to particularly. I feel like one thing that's especially happened to me in cases where I'm talking to someone who knows that Angela is trans but doesn't know or has allowed themselves to keep being relatively oblivious to the fact that I'm trans is getting asked if it's hard to be with a trans person or if it made something difficult or if it was confusing. And the answer to that is no. <laughs> No, it wasn't. Actually, it rocks. And obviously, you know, don't you don't have to lie. Don't say everything was awesome if it wasn't. But I feel like sometimes I have the luxury of forgetting that a lot of cis people assume that being with a trans person is some kind of hyper-complex and stressful undertaking as opposed to being with a person. You know, the kind of thing where sometimes it's smooth and sometimes it's complicated because people are vast and multidimensional. And being trans is not the only possible complicating factor or big logistical process or big self-awakening that could happen to someone while they're in relationships with other people. People have all kinds of processes of self-discovery in their life. Being trans is not the only one. It just has cultural dimensions and assumptions around it that make people think that it must be some kind of sacrifice on my part to be with a trans person. And that's weird because I always have the sort of moment of pause of having to remember, oh, this person doesn't know I'm trans. Do I want to out myself in this conversation and if I don't what do I say and I think a lot of what it comes down to is even if I don't out myself I can still affirm like no this was not inherently a problem I'm really happy to be with someone who has learned and had personal growth and has a stronger sense of who she is as a person during the course of our relationship that's good I'm in favor of that I feel like that's generally speaking what people like in relationships is to be with someone who's feeling happy and self-actualized and like they have a good understanding of themselves and then there's the connected logistic to that people ask like wait are you with the same person like weren't you with you know angela's dead name and i'm like same person same person or they're like oh wait what was her name like same person i'm like same person i don't need to say her name again you've i've the same person i've been with for seven years the person i met at the start of college you know this
0: (laughs) i don't need to say the name for you to remember who this is and, and also, I, I think I, uh, I'd add on to that, that I think part of the reason that for a lot of folks who are cis, who are getting involved with like a trans person, pro tip, don't go into the, to a relationship with a trans person assuming that it's going to already start at a level of tragedy or sadness. Some trans folk came out and it was entirely fine. Like there was no issue whatsoever. Some trans folk had have a lot of baggage, for lack of a better term, that comes with them. As do other people who you date have a lot of baggage with them around (laughs) other issues. When it comes to trans related like dating or relationship related issues, we come with our own set of problems, quirks, and particular dimensions to how we've come to be this person who's interested in you or who you are interested in or who multiple people are interested in, just like everybody else. To sort of build on Naomi's mentioning that that it's like when people have that reaction like, isn't particularly hard to like be with a trans person it's like (laughs) are you expecting it to be particularly hard going in because part of this is just a matter of expectations too because it's like some trans folk have incredibly deep levels of abusive histories mental health issues issues around assault like there's so many different components that could be going into their backstory some folks are just like not been super out since i was like 10 have super affirming family Did you think I was going to give you a sad story?
1: Also, someone having a sad story doesn't mean that that's going to be the key defining dimension of, you know, you can be with someone who's experienced trauma and also find that some of the main things that you argue about are, like, what you think counts as a clean kitchen. Like, (laughs) sometimes things are just mundane, and that's okay, too. Uh, Transness will not inherently be the biggest dimension of what you talk about or what makes a relationship complex.
0: I think pretty much for... Throughout the entire relationship, we've had different arguments, despite probably what a lot of our friends think. We do actually argue sometimes.
1: Oh, yeah, we, we do argue.
0: <laughs> but like when I think about comparison of things of like what has caused more prolonged arguments, me being trans or Naomi being trans or transness in relation to our relationship has been far less than like me learning to not do recipes for every kind of food that I make because I'm hyper anxious and paranoid about messing up the food and Naomi's like eh, just put in whatever stuff that kind of works I have a sense of how these things work
1: and honestly that's not even just in our relationship thing with all of the like roommate and housemate situations I've had and even with my parents at some times stuff about kitchen cleanliness and cooking strategy are some of the biggest points of contention and argument in I would almost say the majority of my interpersonal relationships that have involved living with people <laughs> Kitchens are just complicated spaces. So yeah, if you're looking for a way to sort of conversationally disarm a cis person who asks you about whether or not your relationship with a trans person is tragic, I guess one thing you could do is uh, talk about how actually what you'd really like to vent about is the fact that you two load the dishwasher differently. Throw them
0: throw them for a loop. Make transness mundane. All of that is really to to just say that it's like there are elements of coming into a relationship with transness that if you're someone who has never engaged with trans in your life outside of like that's a trans friend that i have yeah there'll be some bullshit that you have that you might have to deal with that might be tragic sad or horrible and you might want to pity said person uh don't do that that's a bad idea because no one wants to be treated as a tragedy it's a terrible feeling but also even if they have had tragic it's a tragic backstory necessarily mean that their ongoing life or that the life that they're aspiring to have or surprise surprise possibly make with you is something that they want to be reminded of as like starting out from a sad point it feels great to be affirmed in your identity it feels great to be thought of as like yeah you've had some shit happen and i kind of want to be part of the making it not shitty elements of your life exactly and a lot of again it really comes down to disarming. Naomi said, that it, that sort of impulse to be like, oh wow, isn't that really hard to do? And it's like, it could be. Was it hard when you met with a guy who had a bunch of other issues that don't seem to be talked about as much in relationships as this was? Like,
1: Was it hard to come to terms with being cis? <laughs> have you two struggled? That's the other thing that I feel like trans people also, we aren't the only people who can have messy and complicated relationships with gender even. Angela and I have both said this in conversation a lot, we have straight friends, we do We do love you too, straight people, But, but we worry about you sometimes because we read things on the internet and we hear things from people in our lives about relationships where you can be with someone for years and years and years and years and they still essentially behave like because of gender structures in both of your lives that you're inherently responsible for doing an entirely different kind of emotional work. Or that you're more responsible for knowing when their own mother's birthday is than they are. Or they want you to cook a dish that they love all the time, even though they actually know how to make it too. But, oh, you do it so much better, and I always mess it up. And they get to use a form of learned incompetence in order to subsume, uh, you know, your will to theirs and all that kind of thing. Or even if you're not dating people, just feeling the coercive gender structures of life, even if you think of yourself as cis. It's exhausting to be a gender. Sometimes. I remember when I was working really hard to be a woman, it was like a lot. There's a lot of shit to do. It's not- a lot of it isn't fun. And even if you think parts of it are fun, there's probably some chunk of it that's not inherently fun to you and that you're doing because you feel like you're supposed to. So that's another thing that I feel is worth noting that a lot of cis people don't admit to themselves. You have your own relationship to gender. You may even have your own gender-related experience of trauma. And I feel like women are more taught to at least think of the possibility of trauma on that front, which sucks and is sad and is real. But, like, regardless, I don't think there's any experience of gender that means you could not potentially have stress or baggage or painful dimensions and understandings of self that relate to your gender, whether or not you think of yourself as trans.
0: And and I'd have to an extent identified with elements of masculinity, is that it's very traumatic for men as well. Nowhere near in the structural level or institutional level to the level of women of trans folk and non-binary folk of gender non-conforming gender queer folk etc etc but there are a lot of elements of what normative masculinity asks of people who want to be part of that very exclusive club that are traumatizing and that are require a certain level of emotional self-harm and basically of cutting off a lot of elements of yourself that is just it's soul crushing in a lot of ways to to be a normative gender because it's kind of designed to be as such for the purposes of gaining institutional power and honestly like uh, my attitude towards a lot of masculinity has very much been that like coming out trans for me was partially due to the response i had internally of there is nothing in masculinity that i can find that's worth it for me there's nothing there and then over time it's very much developed into more like there might be something there i just prefer it when women and femmes and like gender group people do it and that's been my my own particular relationship to transness And I would say sort of building off of like a lot of what Naomi has been saying as well, or at least another point that comes to mind from that is that regardless if you are a pair of trans people who maybe have both had your own pretty robust sense of what it means to be trans or you're a cis person who's getting with a trans person or you're a cis person who gets with a trans person and you later find out that you are maybe trans. There are a lot of elements of how a relationship develops where aspects of yourself and how you that are fundamental to how you think of yourself might shift. And that requires a level of care and understanding and patience with each other that sometimes it isn't talked about when we just do these sort of general conversations about like, oh, what's it like to be with a trans person? Well, it's like, well, it would be for me like being like accurate to say non-binary in some context, but that doesn't always feel right. And that was different from when Naomi first met me when I was relatively a guy. True. But by gender, like in secret and in closet, very closeted. And then mainly identified with femme, but not necessarily trans, and now it's more trans femme. Those all required different arcs and levels of understanding. And understandably, like really any relationship that's not particular to transness, those shifts in how people involved in the relationship might be too much for someone to handle and they might want to leave. And I would say there are things that are particular to the kinds of shifts of identity that might happen around transness that are their own set of stresses and struggles. But I don't think there's anything particular to transness that makes that so different from a lot of the general shifts in identity that happen that people don't already have to do in relationships.
1: Yeah, it's more that there's a different set of cultural baggage around the idea that makes people not sure how to talk about it or imagine that they must need some kind of wildly different strategy as opposed to what is probably going to be the heart and soul of all our advice, which is communicate with the people that you care about. That's really what a lot of it comes down to. Tell people the things that it's important for them to know. Try to be honest about yourself. And also recognize when you need to have boundaries because sometimes communication means, why are you asking that? Or I don't think you need to know that. Or is that really relevant? Do you need to know about what medical procedures my partners have or haven't had? I'm happy that's not a question I've had to field in my own hyper-personal life uh, from family, but family friends and contexts. I've had people ask what kinds of medical procedures Angela has or hasn't. Wow! <laughs> well, I'm not answering that, like, even at all. And I'm also going to take a minute to tell you that you shouldn't ask people that in general. This is a horribly
0: invasive question. Mm-hmm. There there are plenty of other, like, Tumblr and other related comedic posts that note on the absurdity of asking those kinds of questions in general, but I'll put it to you this way. How often do you have someone in your life come up to you in everyday conversation and ask you about your genital? Well, we have queer friends, so that might not be outside <laughs> the language of their conversation, but... The point but that that's
1: almost gets to it and that that's a person where you have an established connection to where like, hey, let's talk about some dicks. Um, but if that's not something you would do with someone in general, you don't get to start just because they're trans or because they're dating a trans person.
0: Yeah. And, it, and it's like, think of it with that level of kind of absurd, blatant bluntness mm-hmm. to it of like how rude that comes off to some yeah. people. Like that is going to be the same level of rudeness that a trans person is probably going to respond with or feel... Yeah.
1: Also, often people I've known who are really blunt or talk a lot about sex or genitalia on other fronts often still know not to ask those questions. I worked at a sexual health education clinic. No one there ever asked me about my or my partner's genitalia unless I was literally getting a pap smear. That's the only context. And that was a reasonable context to be asked about that.
0: So for all listeners who are still with us at this point, if <laughs> if <laughs> if you would like a barometer or like a, a like thought, Sums up everything in some ways. Pap smear is really the only context in which that kind of invasiveness is relevant. Yeah. Outside of that, there are certain dimensions to having a trans partner that are really, at the end of the day, as boring and as everyday as anyone else's relationships are. Mm -hmm. That really are not anything special. That's not to deny the particular dimensions that come with having a trans partner. There are things around how hormones and processing and the emotional support that'll come with that. There are elements of like not necessarily being out around family or around certain work settings or having to use dead name in some contexts or different incorrect gender uh designations Mm -hmm. that are not great these are these are very particular things they can have their own level of stress on a relationship and neither of us wants to deny any of the seriousness that comes with that even in the levity that we bring in talking about these things yeah nevertheless There are also a lot of elements that this will be a running theme in our podcast for a lot of different topics. Some of it really just comes down to trying to be clear about where you stand around a lot of issues. If it really matters to one partner to be out and that's just something that they can't make really any have any patience for their other partner not being able to do that, maybe it's not going to work as a relationship.
1: But it's better to be honest about that than to have one or both partners living with some kind of quiet tension or resentment about the structure of a relationship. If you don't create a chance to get that out in the open, then you don't get to figure out if maybe there's a way that this does work for you. Things get to accumulate. And I feel like we've got some interesting dimensions here in that I think both there's the communication of trying to have openness and honesty and clarity with your partner about your needs, and then also boundaries, and especially with family, extended family, friends and connections and coworkers and people... You're also allowed to remember that you don't owe everyone some inherent degree of information, that it's not lying to be private, and that it's okay to lie to be safe. Honestly, I feel like there are times and there are dimensions of this conversation that I turned into a long rambling question theme that we're digging into. There are elements of that conversation that were in some fronts talking about, how do I tell my parents about my partner's gender or transness, because I feel like it's going to be something that we can't avoid talking about, especially if you've got a partner whose appearance is changing for any number of reasons or is shifting how they present themselves in the world. I think it comes back to an earlier point. Have levity, have warmth. Talk about what's positive for you. Talk about what's positive for them. You don't even have to talk about it as a trans thing. You can say, my partner's super happy. I'm really happy about this relationship. This is working for me. This is working for them. They're in a great place right now, and they're they're working right now to get into an even better place. And you don't have to say all the dimensions of what that means. Also, if your parents go, hey, like your partner looks different, or they grew their hair out, or they're shaving now, or they wore
0: a skirt, or they stopped wearing skirts, you can just go, Yeah. And don't fucking clarify. Some of these are a matter of how you engage it and whether or not it's worth engaging. Some battles are not worth fighting. And just don't go on that front. I know I've had to happen in some ways with uh I think about my relationship to the dad's to my dad's side of the family for a lot of personal reasons that I have and those elements can again I've been trying my best a lot allow this conversation we've been having to not stress the tragic parts so it's like more sad because I feel like there's far too much of that available
1: yeah we're here adding levity because tragedy has been pretty thoroughly documented on a lot of fronts
0: but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist or that we have to pretend it's not there us going into detail about all these things us having fun while discussing it is never in any way to try and downplay that These conversations can be very difficult. They can stress your relationships, having to be tactful about when you talk about certain topics, having to be there for a partner who is having difficulties with transitioning physically or even just socially with different friends who might leave you all of a sudden or you might find out, hey, when I have a trans partner who's transitioning to be more like what a trans person looks like, I'm doing air quotes while saying that because that's just really kind of unpleasant expectations
1: yeah we all already look like trans people because we are but it's still a thing with cultural yeah
0: gatekeeping about who they consider a real trans person we've had friends who were like that before we've had we've known people who've gotten better about that and then we've known some people who it turned out were really unpleasant mm-hmm. and didn't believe us some of these conversations will be hard no matter what they will require finagling they will require having to have a lot of conversations that are not easy to pin down like what's uncomfortable and it might take like for us an example we've had hours long conversations where we finally figure out what's been bothering the other person after an hour and a half of (laughs) talking but that is in a lot of ways what might come down to being the heart of a lot of very long-term committed relationships is that sometimes you have really difficult talks about what the dimensions of your lives are going to be We've had that even come up into something as simple as like, did we want to continue a relationship with a friend, but they live in another state or we're living here and that's not going to work out. Like mm-hmm. thinking about your relationship, whether it's just, do you want to do things like long distance? Do you want to live together after a certain point? Like there are so many different conversations that come up Yeah, that each require, have their own set of complexities and we will be more than happy to talk about some of those. Oh, topics. absolutely.
1: And there's polyamory dimensions to that too, like coordinating with multiple partners in multiple locations or. How do you think about the future in a relationship when you're not aiming towards the particular relationship escalator of move-in married kids,
0: and so on and so forth? At least as regards transness in relationship, yeah, there are some particulars to it that are tricky. But it doesn't inherently suck. And like a lot of other relationship factors, it isn't always necessarily all good. Mm-hmm. Even when you thought the topic was like clean-cut, oh, this is done, we don't need to talk about it. Of course, sometimes it comes up again. Because people change.
1: Absolutely. And I think if there's one sort of wrap-up thought that has stuck with me that I've taken largely from Captain Awkward, who is one of my favorite advice bloggers ever. I highly recommend. If you if you like the way I talk about relationships, check out CaptainAwkward and Scarletine.com because those are two of the places that trained me. But one of the things that she talks about a lot is, especially when you're dealing with family or other people close to you, Sometimes you get stuck in a situation where you feel like, oh, if I talk about this thing that's important to me that my family doesn't get or doesn't respect, I'm making things awkward. How do I have this conversation in a way that's diplomatic and doesn't make things awkward? And I think a really important and powerful reframing is they already made it awkward. If your parents created an environment where you don't feel like you can talk about your gender or your partner's gender or the fact that you're even dating someone, your parents already made it awkward. You did not start the awkwardness they did. They just imagine that they have a sort of cultural or emotional authority that means if they're upset about something, it's justified. And if you're upset about something, you are the one who made things weird. And one of the ways she talks about disarming that first is just admitting that it's okay for things to be awkward and that you are not the inherent source of that tension. And she also, and I love this, talks about what to do when, say... You're talking to someone who has a strategy that usually conversationally disarms you, like, oh, you never tell me anything about your life. Oh, you must think I'm a bad mother. Oh, you're so ungrateful. Or, oh, I don't ever hear you talk about things. You're so private. You're so cagey. And the expectation is that you're then going to step in and comfort the person and contradict what they're saying. And they want you to fix that. But you are also allowed to say, like, yeah, I'm cagey and private. And just keep moving on, or like, yes, I must, I must be an awful, I must be an awful kid. I don't, I don't tell you about that, but I'm still not going to tell you about my partner's genitalia. Or like, yes, yes, mom, you must be, you must be the world's, the world's worst mother because sometimes we have to have complicated conversations.
0: <laughs> Personal spin on that one when if you have family, whether specifically for your own trans issues or just in general for your trans partner, or just as a general theme. They try and bring up something that's like, we should have a strong relationship. Why haven't you told us more about this person? If you have much more gall than I do, a proper response to that is also, why don't you create a context in which it's comfortable to talk about these things with you? A lot of what disarming some of the like those kind of strategies that Naomi brings up that family will often do, whether they're loving or not. But can do just out of habit because that's something that maybe has happened in the family for a long time that people have engaged. Yeah, they've been able to mobilize you via guilt. Oh, guilt is guilt guilt is rough. Guilt is rough with family related to anything. But is putting the onus back on the context of who is involved in making that. it's Like, okay, let's say you you still truly believe that you are at fault for some of this. They are also creating the relationship and the context in which you are acting and creating your sense of comfort to talk about said issues. It is not entirely your responsibility, or even if you're trying to support trans partner dealing with family, it is not their entire responsibility. The family is involved in making this. It's not a one-way street for this relationship, it's two ways.
1: That's kind of the point of relationships, that multi-dimensionality. And yeah, if you find that talking to family or other people in close relationship with you makes you feel sad, tired, cagey, defensive, paranoid, drained, like you're managing yourself, like you're putting on an act, like you're in a play, like those are relevant feelings. You're allowed to acknowledge those feelings. You are not the one making things awkward, quote unquote, by having those feelings. Those are responses that you are having to an environment with stressors in it. And you don't have to then switch and go, this is all my family's fault and everything. Like if I can just fix this one thing with them, that's going to fix everything because it's all on them. You're not required to go 100% in any direction, but also realize that it's probably not 100% coming from you because relationships involve multiple people. Whether it's just the sort of awkward clunky guilt of a parent who's not very well calibrated to your social world, or if it's someone being more actively manipulative, there are a lot of dimensions to that. And at the core, you're allowed to just acknowledge it's awkward. You're allowed to make things awkward if you think that will help or to acknowledge the awkwardness that is there. And you're also allowed to not buffer people's feelings. You can let someone say like, oh, you must think so little of us. You tell us so little. I'm like, yeah, I don't tell you a lot. I set boundaries. You can just acknowledge that you do that. You don't have to justify yourself to them. You can also leave. And I mean that both in the sense of physically removing people from your life and also going, I'm going to go take a walk. Or I think we need to do that grocery run. Or partner and I are going to go out for a smoke. Or whatever it is and whatever it looks like. You can go, I'm going to leave. Either excuse wise or go, we have this conversation every time I come home. And I think we've had this conversation as much as we need to have it. So, I'm gonna go to a movie, and if you want to talk about this like an adult later, we can do that. You're allowed to say those things to people. They may have trained you very, very deeply to believe that that's the worst thing in the world to do, but if someone is already making you deeply tired and uncomfortable in an interaction, you can leave.
0: There's more negative framing, but as a way to also still respond, I think of it this way. Let's say you do think of that that sort of act as the worst possible way you can feel, I'm going to take a guess and say that the amount of guilt they've been putting you through and making you feel has probably already made you feel like shit. So Mm -hmm. I don't feel like this is so much like going from top of a cliff down to the bottom of a canyon so much as like going from a pool into the deep end of a pool. It's still probably going to suck. Maybe it'll be a little jarring, but it might be worth it. (laughs) It might be worth it overall in terms of what
1: other things you don't have to deal with relative to that. Communicate as you can, set boundaries as you can, be a person who exists and has feelings and remember that it's okay to do that. And that if someone shows you that they're not emotionally capable of having like a kind or a thoughtful or a respectful conversation about your gender or your partner's gender or both, they've given you information about them. You're allowed to acknowledge and act on that. And if they decide that that means you think they're terrible, even if you also love them and are really trying your best to create a balance, sometimes you have to let yourself be grounded in that and figure out what kind of relationship and what amount of relationship it does feel good to have. Because there's no inherent default for how close or how distant a relationship has to be with a partner or with family. You get to build that. And that's a- the exciting part and the scary part. And I think a lot of what we hope for and a lot of what we think about in our own relationship is how to do that intentionally, how to have relationships because you've thought about what you want them to look like and not because you feel stuck in them or because there's
0: only one way that you feel like you're allowed to approach them. I think with those very well put, good summaries, thank you. (laughs) I think this will probably end this episode. I'm Naomi. I'm Angela. And as always, we are Queerly
1: Yours. Queerly Yours is edited and produced by Naomi Bosch with intro and outro music by Angela Lemos-Mogrovejo.